This podcast has bad words in it. You have been warned. I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving husband and father. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow dad and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things guys love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. How fitting is it for us to do this in New Orleans? It just feels like... uh... It feels like the place we're supposed to be. <laughs> it's, uh, I know we talked about recording this on the train, but you and I, you and I were so just like, it feels like we didn't even say fifteen words to each other on the way here or something. Well, we both came, we both came with the same energy. Yeah, that's what's weird, right? Like you were, you were whooped probably from your drive and not, you know, not sleeping in your bed, and I was whooped from being on the train and. It would have been good. Well, even doing like the you know the thing in Cleveland last week, like even though that was something that you ran. And and I you know was on the other side for the first time for the most part. I mean you know I still had people asking me three story method stuff and all that, but um, but that drained me even up and like just never really got caught up before we came here. It was so weird, you know. I underestimated. Uh, I don't know why I would have given the amount of teaching I've done, but I underestimated the the intensity of that experience and then only having not even a full day before I had to get on the train yeah. to come down here. I was so glad I didn't drive to Cleveland because I yeah. really thought about because I literally probably would have just, it would have almost been the same thing as just like stopping late at a hotel yeah. that when I got to my house and then just turn around. Like I'm glad I had that full day to do it, but maybe we learned a lesson about doing stuff back to back. <laughs> of course, we've done it before. We did the... We we did Rock Apoc and then the Summer Bookshelf Summer like back to back. And That's true. I don't know. Maybe because they were, maybe because the summit wasn't as intense as an event. As far as like, I don't know. Like, and we weren't we weren't sort of the primary organizers either. Yeah, yeah, that was true. So, but uh, but yeah, it's but being here though, it's I was thinking about it. It's so funny, man. Like, you know, four and a half years ago we met in person and we'd been friends for a while, but we met in person on the way down, you know, you know, in Chicago, but we were on our way here. And like, I, I think it's safe to say that that trip was life changing for both of us. Yeah. That's I mean, um, you know, t- of course, talking about the trip we did with Jana Penn and Lindsay Baroker and writing a book together in a week and all that. Cause at the time, we were still working day jobs. Now right, you, both of us. But you you had your, you had already put in, you'd already told the school that you weren't renewing your contract, right? That's right, yeah. I, that was in uh, January or February I had that conversation. And like, and I, of course, I've told the story on other podcasts, but, you know, came home after Joanna told me to quit being, living in fear and all that. And I went home and, uh, told my wife I was like hey I think I'm gonna finally leave and she was just like oh, finally oh my and which was obviously such a relief we you know we were having conversations earlier um with uh today with Chris actually uh about spouses who don't support you and stuff like that and um you know we you and I have both been fortunate enough to have that luckily um but I guess one thing I'm curious about because I don't think I've ever, I haven't asked you that I mean we've talked about obviously 
how that trip affected us and stuff. But I'm curious, like four and a half years later, uh, like how do you look back on that trip? Like how do you reflect on it? Well, I don't even feel like the same person. Yeah. First of all, I mean we're not we're not no. the same people. Uh, but I, I yeah, it's a it's a major pivot point in my life. There's no doubt about it. Um, and like. Yeah, we've we've kind of talked about New Orleans, and, and we both have, we both love this city, and we and we've been here, and we were here a number of times before we were here together. Yeah, and I like I think you feel the same way. Like I just felt a pull, like a kinship to this place the very first time I was here, and you know I don't drink anymore, and I, and um, I'm not out partying late. Like I'm not raising hell on Bourbon Street. So like, the pull here is not that. Bullshit. No, what you know? time were we in bed last night? Like, <laughs> let's not say. <laughs> pretty, we we were in pretty early. <laughs> but like, it's, I, I just, I've always just felt a connection to this place, and yeah. it's, it's not, it's like gritty, and it's edgy, and it's dangerous, but it's also inspirational, and and there is a, there's a community, there's a community feel here. Like, here's the best way I can describe it. And this is not a tangent. I'm coming, I'm coming to something. I no, can. it's fine. Uh, like I don't like Vegas. Yeah, I've right? I've never been, and I have no interest in going. I was there a couple times. I just it, I don't like it. And 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 here's and people will often say like, New Orleans is like Vegas. Like it's hedonistic, and it's where people go to like, do crazy shit. Oh, right? Not I can. I've never been to Vegas, but there's no way I could see make. I wouldn't even make that comparison. Well, it's it. So you look at movies like The Hangover, or like where yeah, you know, like there's this. Like what what you do in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Like yeah, that's the whole. There thing. is some of that, yeah. But here's the difference, and and this could be completely in my own head, but I feel like Vegas is very like individually hedonistic. It's selfish, mm. right? Like you're just serving yourself. Like in Vegas, you're 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 drinking yourself into oblivion, or you're gambling yourself, or whatever. Like whatever your vice is. But in New Orleans. It's all about having fun with community, even yeah. though it can appear to be the same, right? So if you walk down Bourbon Street, you're going to see the same assholes that you see anywhere else getting drunk and doing stupid shit. But, like, last night, how many, like, wedding processions did we see yeah. of, and of, like, the police closing the street, a married couple with, with, a, with a brass band playing, they're strutting down the street, people are taking pictures and clapping and hollering, and it's like... That's what I love about New Orleans. Yeah. You don't get that in any other city. And like whether it's it's like at a Mardi Gras parade or the Halloween parade or just walking through the quarter, it's like people are having fun together. Yeah. And that's different for me. Yeah, it's uh, I never seen one of those processions come down the street like that for Wayne and I've been here more times than I can count, you know, cuz I used to live just a couple hours from here and come down a lot. And uh but you're right. Like, it, it, there is a difference. Like, I think even when the people are partying and stuff, like, and you, the, there's, you have the drunk assholes and stuff, they're still kind of, like, together. Like, and people will pick them up and stuff like that. Like, it's it's definitely, it, the city just has a different vibe. And, I mean, it goes down to a bunch of, I mean, I think for you for you and me, too, we've, we're obviously, like, big metalheads and stuff. So, like, we're going to naturally go to that grittiness like even the music here like, yeah we the, fit in yeah let's be let's own that we like. do we 100 percent do and like but even the music here like you know that from the zydeco to you know the big band stuff to but even like the metal and the rock music comes out here totally different yeah like it is 
you know, the, the bands you and I are really into, like Crowbar, Crows and Conformity, Down, you know, all those bands, like, have, they're not the same. Like, even if you look at other bands who are in that quote unquote stoner metal genre, they just don't have, like, that really just grit that the New Orleans bands right. do. Right. Right. And here, here's where I'm going with New Orleans, too. I, like, I, I think I may have said this to you and Chris this morning. Um, the thing about New Orleans is it reminds you that life isn't that fucking serious. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It reminds you to have fun and not to take yourself so seriously. And I have always taken myself way too seriously. I get in my head. I, like, I just know this. It's just one of the things that I have to deal with my whole life is like not everything has to have that level of seriousness to it. Yeah. And you can't help that. Like, you know, I did the zombie run this morning. I was going to... stupidity, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, I, and I think why that matters is... And I'm not blaming this on my upbringing, but I grew up in the Rust Belt in a, in a working, middle-class, Catholic neighborhood. And the, you know, my dad and his dad and the expectations of dads in those environments are... You go to work, you punch the clock, you bring home the paycheck, and you take care of your family. And and being silly and being fun is not part of that. Now, if you wanna if you wanna cut loose during the Steelers halftime show and holler a little bit, that's your fun for the week. But your ass better be back on the factory floor on Monday morning. Yeah. Right. So like I this is a this is programming that I think is not not unique to me. I think there are many many dads who feel either a direct or indirect pressure to provide and take care of the family, which means anything fun or frivolous or artistic gets set aside, or it's a lesser priority. And New Orleans reminds you, like, that shit is just as important for your soul. 100%, yeah. And I want to come back to something about that in a minute, but I want to ask, because you brought it up, like, how crazy is it, too? We were just talking about being here four and a half years ago, and the first time we met and that was when you could barely walk because you had gout and now this morning you did a zombie run yeah I, I or as our, buddy, as our buddy T.W. Piper broke caught a zombie run zombies zombies but <laughs> but but how crazy like you know you talked about how you're not a different person hell no you're not like you four years four years ago you would have never been you wouldn't have been able to do a zombie run here because you could, I couldn't walk out of this exact hotel four years ago. Yeah, I was icing my toe up. I thought I stepped on something. Yeah, because we right? walked around like I think that day my Fitbit said like twenty seven thousand steps I've done, which is like ten thousand for you since your legs are longer. <laughs> but 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 no. But like we just thought it was that, and then we went to Catatonia that That's night, right. went to that concert, and you had to sit down most of the time and. Like it's just crazy to think about the journey you've been on since then, and and all the you know getting your health in line, and just I mean you're a totally different person on every single level other than how you dress, you know. <laughs> like that's other than that, like you pretty I even much added were, a beard. You added a beard. Your wife finally let you do that. So um, oh, <laughs> sorry, Joy. <laughs> she's not. Listening. Uh, she's not gonna ever listen to this. So, but um, but yeah. So I want like going back to what you were saying a second ago. Um, so like in raising your own kids, I mean, you have two teenagers, one just went to college. You still have one at home. You know, you mentioned your upbringing and how it was really just that Pittsburgh blue collar. Um, but you know, as you, you, you've kind of gotten older, you know, you've kind of learned to let loose and not take yourself so seriously. Like 
how how have you found a balance of that in raising your kids? I mean, or have you like you know, I mean, what what percentage of your not percentage necessarily, but like how much of the way you were raised are you instilling in them versus like a little not looser, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and this is this is really hard for most people to hear because I think. Well, especially most dads, like they know this is true. And I had this conversation countless times with parents over the years. And what I've always said to parents was, your kids aren't paying attention to what you're saying. They're paying attention to what you're doing. Mm. So you can yell and scream. You can manipulate. You can threaten. Your kids are not hearing that. So like, if you're telling your kids, I don't want you drinking. Drinking's not good for you. And every Friday and Saturday night, you're shit-faced. Or that, what do you think your kids are gonna do, right? Yeah. Like you're modeling, you're modeling a lifestyle for them. Um, so because I was, I consider myself fortunate to have to have been a teacher for many years before I had my own kids. I, I, I learned that firsthand over years. I learned that whether it's in the classroom, outside the classroom, on the athletic field, or in your living room, kids are paying attention to what you're doing, and you're modeling for them whether you realize it or not, whether you want to or not. So whatever you do is what they're gonna learn, right? So like, we often think that we instill values in kids. We don't instill anything. All we do is model for them what, a, what, one, what an example is. And 99% of the kids will take that as their default. And they'll leave the home, and that's their default value system until they find something better, or if it's something they completely disagree with, they'll, they'll rebel and they'll kinda go their own way. But like that's the default operating system that you're providing for them. So it's a long way of saying that before I had my kids, I realized if I if I took that in the most negative and I'm not saying it's negative, but if in the most negative connotation, if I took that blue collar work mentality and I did that, that's what my kids were going to do. Yeah. That was going to be the value system that they learned. And so um, as much as it was for me. Um, to to restart a band and and to go out every Thursday night uh, and practice and have my kids see that and and go up and play shitty shows and have my kids laugh at the videos from that like it, it like as much as that was for me and my own growth it was also a way to demonstrate for them that like this is part of life too like you can do these kinds of things and you can have these kinds of experiences and not you don't have to toe that line all the time. But I can't say that to them. You yeah. can't say that to your daughter. You just have to live it, and then she's going to be like, oh, I see what dad's doing. Like, she's not going to be, you know, obvious about that. But, like, that's that's what her thinking process is. You can be looking at what you and Kat are doing, yeah. and that's going to become her value system. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things that I've really tried to recognize because – dude, I mean, there's no handbook for this. <laughs> you know, there's no, no, no you know, it, it, it's really – you take your own experiences of how your parents raised you and then your own experiences in your life, but then they, you're just handed a child and they're just like, go, go figure this out, you know? Yeah, and if you think your parents really fucked up and you turn around and do that to your kids, yeah, like, you're, you're not, there's, you're not breaking any cycle, like that. But I, I, lo I love what you said, man, about, um, about your kids watch what you do, they don't listen to what you say because I think that is so true, you know, and, um, and I'm, I just, 
and I know I've had that failure and stuff with Haley, and it's something I've had to learn. And just well, we all fail. We all do. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not like feeling guilty about or anything because we all fail at a lot of things as a parent. Right. Because again, you there's no handbook. You learn along the way, you know. But um, but that's also part of, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like, you know, part of the the love, like I how I love that. You know, she she's basically lived her whole life with me doing this as a full time job. Yeah, like she didn't really she wasn't old enough to remember when I went to a regular job, and like right. so she's getting to see that you know it's possible to basically do whatever you want. Yes, you know, yes. and and that you don't have to stay even with even with Cat's job. I mean, Cat's a massage therapist. She doesn't work traditional hours. You know, she she works four days a week, and um, like it's instilling her like you don't have to there's no straight path where like you have to go to college you have to go get a nine to five job like there's other things you can do and i mean you and i i know we've even had conversations about you know about we won't get into it now but about college and would even be relevant and 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 parents getting rid of the assumption that their kids have to go to college and stuff but i don't know i'm curious like what because your kids were old enough to see, to know the a dad that went to a nine to five. I mean, they went to the school that right. you taught at. So, right. and, it, I, and I left five years ago. So, you know, my son was 13 and my daughter was, what, 11-ish or So something. definitely old enough to remember right. what that was like. So, right. I mean, how do you feel like their, like your experience, you becoming a full-time creative and being able to kind of carve your own path has inspired them, if as all? I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I think it's one of those long tail. I was going to say it's probably a long tail thing. You know, I've. But I'll tell you where I've start. I've started to see or hear things from my son, and I'm. I, I'm going to take credit for it, but he's a really smart kid. So I, yeah. it's not. You know, it's not all my doing. But I've already heard him say things like, "I don't want to just sit at a desk for forty hours a week," and like. And he's a you know he's a college kid and so uh, you know, take it take that for what it's worth. But I'm already starting to see that. Like my my daughter, my daughter is like doing the musical and she's starting to write for the school newspaper. And the, both of them, both both Brady and Brenna, are really kind of pursuing things that they're interested in. And I think that's the difference. Like when I was a teenager. It was hard for me to pursue things I was interested in that weren't within the acceptable scope of what my parents wanted, which was mostly get good grades and get into a college. So if it was outside of that, yeah, it was frowned upon. Sometimes it was prohibited. Like sometimes it was, I was I wasn't permitted to do it. Um, but but you know the, and and I I think of someone listening to this conversation. Like I think of us four and a half years ago. If we were listening to this conversation. One of the first thoughts I would have would be like, "Yeah, dude, it's easy for you to say. Yeah, you you you're not working a nine to five. You're not grinding it out down at the factory or whatever it happens to be." And and I acknowledge that, but I think what we're talking about here, it doesn't mean that the only way you can instill those kind of values in your kids is to quit your job and become a full time artist. No, That's not what we're saying. No, what we're saying is you need those moments where you can model for them what that might look like. So like. For 10 years before I, this is more for my son than my daughter because he's older, for 10 years before I, I left teaching, I was in a band. 
And every Thursday night, um, he knew I went out and, and had I had rehearsal. And weekends, we would play gigs. And every once in a while, I would take him and his sister down to the rehearsal spot and let him bang on the drums and scream into the PA. Just, like so, it it doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to live that artist lifestyle to to teach your kids that. If you can just have moments like that where you can show them that life is more than punching the the time clock. And, and getting drunk on the weekend while you watch football. Like if you, if you, there's more to that, then that will, that will work. Yeah. Now, something else like kind of similarly related I want to ask you about is, because I don't think we've talked about this either, but were, did you have other, were there other creatives in your family? None. So we come from that same thing because in my direct family, especially my mom, my dad, and I was funny, I said this to my dad the other day and he was like, no, I'm creative. And I was like, I said, no. And, and he was right because, and I did say to him, I'm like, no. I'm like, you're right because I'm, you know, you've been a hotel manager forever. You've had to like do marketing and come up with like marketing camp. So like that is being creative. But my point was, you know, he was never a writer. He was never a musician. He never was an artist. You know, my dad played sports growing up. So being an artist and being creative are not necessarily the same thing. I you could, I think you could definitely for sure make that argument because I think I mean I think everyone's creative. Yes. Everyone is creative at something. Right. You know, everyone creates something. You know, like I said, even my dad, who had no artistic talent or aspirations, is really good at coming up with marketing stuff. My dad was the same way. My dad could walk into a framed out building, stand there, write a couple things down on a scrap of paper, and come back and start cutting drywall and putting in a bar, like on the fly. He would build a bar out from a wall or a recessed bookcase. That's super creative. That is super creative. But it's not... It's, he's not an artist. So I'm what I'm curious because like I honestly don't really know the answer for me. Where the hell did it come from in you? I like how, how, like it's I've 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 thought about this so much and I've talked to my parents about it and I'm because I'm very different than my sister and both my parents. So am I. Like maybe that's the key. And but right? I just I still try to dig and I wonder how that happened. I, I don't know like because I'm. I, I don't I used to call myself the black sheep that was probably not fair but like I'm definitely the weirdo in the family like yeah I like my brother and my sister are on those very traditional life paths and they're doing great and have no judgment and they don't place any judgment on me but I was the kid where my mom and dad were like what the hell is wrong with this like yeah I was the kid who was I was in my room creating characters for Dungeons and Dragons instead of playing Little League like yeah. they just had and through my whole life, they don't know what to do with me. You know, like, I, I remember having these knockdown, drag-out fights with my parents about the length of my hair. And my mom, like, my mom and dad, like, you'll never get a job. You'll never make a living. You'll never be able to raise a family looking that way. And I just remember thinking, no, you're wrong. You're yeah. wrong. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter, right? But, like, but that wasn't normal in my family. So I don't know where that comes from. Like, is that something we're, we're born with? Like, I is mean, that a... I don't know. And it, it's funny because... Uh, that I never did have those issues with my parents. Like mm-hmm. they were always cool about how I dressed, how I looked. If they if it bothered them, they never said anything in front of me. They just let me be me. So that's one thing that I am very. It wasn't until I, I remember. I remember the one thing my mom got upset about was when I got my eyebrow pierced <laughs> when I was like nineteen, and she had every right to because it looked stupid. But 
I actually remember her telling me if you go, if she's like, I don't, you can get any tattoo you want and I will pay for it if you just take that thing out. Really? Like, she'd rather me have a tattoo than an eyebrow piercing. Like, but that was literally, I would bleach my hair blonde. Like, I, I mean, I, all kinds of stuff. War, I was, you know, of course I grew up in the 90s. Like, so I had Jinkos, you know, and all that and, and was very alternative. Um, Those are those pants with the long chains, right? Well, they didn't have the chains, but they were like baggy. Yeah, the, yeah real the, baggy the, and yeah. They the 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 bigger the opening was at the bottom, like they actually would advertise on the jeans how many inches the opening was at the bottom, <laughs> and like the bigger that was, the cooler you were. I haven't seen those in years. And dude, well, there's a good reason for that. <laughs> yeah, but like they would say like 36 inches, and there'd be a 36 inch opening at the bottom, you know, covering up my airwalks. And then, you know, the other thing was, was cool about it, quote unquote, was like the pocket would be like on your calf yeah. and stuff to make it look like you were sagging even yep. though you weren't. Super lame. Like, um, <laughs> actually, I think I was wearing a pair when I got kicked out of the seventh grade dance for Mosh, starting a mosh pit during Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> That's a true story. I got taken home. I got taken, no, not even home. My parents were out of town. And they put me in the back of a cop car and took me to Golden Corral where my sister was working because I started a mosh pit to Smells Like Teen Spirit at the dance. It was so freaking crazy. But, but and I, don't, like, I don't know where any of that came from. I, I remember that when I was really young, you know, I liked seeing in my room and drawing. You know, I would make, I, w- I was into sports. Like I, when, I was, when I was like eight, uh, like seven, eight, I was really into basketball and I would sit there and make like these little my own Sports Illustrated magazines and I'd like draw Michael Jordan and stuff like that and then got into hockey later which I know you were hockey, we both played hockey Yeah, I, I dabbled in sports too but I wasn't the kid who was like all in on athletics. No, no, you, me either and like, um, but I don't know, like I just got to the point when I was like nine or ten where I was, I really want to play drums. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it was music for me. Like, yeah. That same way. Me I too. Think yeah. That was like the, that was the, I don't even know how to describe it. You talk about like, where does it come from? It certainly wasn't coming from my family. Um, it wasn't coming from television. I mean, I'm a little bit older than you. We had three channels. Yeah. And most of the, most of broadcast TV, TV was very vanilla mainstream right up the middle yeah. right there was nothing like edgy or different about television in the 70s or even in the early 80s but it was music it was music that i think it was mesmerizing to me like to hear i mean, i can remember having one of my buddies brought over uh back in black on lp <laughs> and we had to hide it from my mom because in the 70s Everyone thought ACDC stood for Antichrist Devil Children. And yeah. It was satanic, right? Yeah. And so we had to sneak it in. I remember we, she went to bed. We were playing uh, Billy Joel's "Is Still Rock and Roll" uh, to me, forty-five. And as soon as we heard her go up the steps, we ripped that off and put "Back in Black" on. And it just sounded like nothing I had ever heard before. And I think that was the moment where I was like, that I relate to this. Like I can feel this on. I can't explain it, but I can feel it. And that was different than anything else in my life. See, and that's so funny because for you, it sounds like there was a lot of rebellion. Oh, like, totally. And, and it, I, see, like, I, I have fond memories of riding down the street and my dad playing back in black in the car when I was like eight. <laughs> like, my, my, a lot of my love for, I would say my, 
all of my love of music to start out was from my parents. Oh, awesome. especially totally my, different for me. Especially my dad. I mean, you know, my, my mom was, I mean, my mom was like really into Journey and George Strait. And like, those are her two favorite artists. Completely opposite. I don't know. But like, my dad would always play Led Zeppelin and ACDC, uh, Dire Straits, like Credence, like all that stuff. That's where my, I feel like that's kind of where my, and maybe that's where it did come from. And maybe I just took it the step further and decided like, I didn't want to just listen to this music I wanted to create. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I am kind of like, by talking this out, I'm kind of answering my <laughs> finding this out because, um, yeah, so there was, for me, there was like no rebellion aspect of See, it. that's... I- I, I, I struggle to even understand how you then pursued it because as I started moving into the teenage years, that's all I wanted to do was rebel yeah. because because I was being so repressed and I was told that that's wrong or satanic or was going to get me in trouble. It made me want to do it even more. That goes into another thing where I think because we, you know, and I'm not making a joke here when I talk about our age difference because you grew up in the 80s and I grew up in the 90s. I think there was more of a rebellion aspect in the 80s when in the 90s there was more like, I hate saying this because it like, but I think there were more suburban metalheads and suburban punk kids that weren't necessarily like, I don't, there is an aspect of rebellion to that, I guess, because like you're not, but I don't know, like, I had a really good childhood, like, and my parents were awesome, and so I just didn't really. I'm not saying you didn't have a good childhood. That's not what I'm saying. Like, you obviously loved your parents and stuff, but I don't know. It's, but I think it was more common for kids like me that grew up fine to just like for some reason still be drawn to that dark music and dark movie. I don't know. Yeah. I can't. It's so weird. Yeah, and you know, I've had I've had similar talks to this with some of my friends who are my age, and. In, in doing a very broad generalization, I think the generation gap between the boomers and Gen X is the biggest one that's ever existed. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. When you look at like culture and values and belief systems, like I think like Gen X and millennials, there's there's a gap, but it's much smaller than boomers and Gen X. Like if you're looking at adjacent generations, and so I felt like my my parents are boomers, and they like completely like you it's funny you mentioned your dad listening to that music like my parents were listening to like Neil Sedaka and the Beach Boys and early Beatles not that Sgt. Pepper weird shit I'll see that's the stuff my parents love <laughs> yeah you know so I think there's I think there's some generational things there uh, that that exist between boomers and Gen X that don't exist in any other adjacent generational gaps yeah and it's funny because like our parents aren't that different in age. I mean, they're not. I know your dad passed away at seventy, I think. Yeah, so your my mom, mom's like seventy-two now, and my mom is turning. Uh, she's turned seventy this year. Okay. So my dad is turning sixty-six this year. So yeah. there's not like there's not a big age difference, right? I tell you, the more I'm thinking about it too, though, I think another thing that happened with me was I. So I started getting into music. Right, like really getting into music and finding my own right at the tail end of the grunge era. Yes. And, you know, Kurt, you know, Kirk Bain dying, all that stuff. And then because my dad had like, you know, I was used to listen, I would listen to Led Zeppelin and stuff. And then when I started finding my own music, I was listening to, 
you know, Alice in Chains, Smashing Pumpkins was like the first band I really fell in love with. Um, I, I, I like Green Day's Dookie was one of my favorite records, like all that stuff. Well, then if you remember, if you think about it, like music in the '90s then got a lot more poppy. Like a couple, so maybe that, maybe I was not rebelling because of my parents. Maybe I was rebelling because of like, I don't want to listen to that boy band shit. You know, by the time I was like, I want this, like, I don't want to say maybe that's where I started. I don't know. It's weird. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still funny how we kind of grew up the same in a lot of ways, but much different in a lot of other ways. Well, you know, in the, in the nineties too, like that that's sort of the age of alternative right like yeah and and what was the the identifying characteristics of things like grunge and alt rock is that it's anything but mainstream yeah and so you can be a weirdo you can be your own weirdo with all the other weirdos yeah you can be you can be different like everybody else is being different yeah right and 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 i think that it made it like it, it fractured. Like if you look at, you look at the music that was that was released from like 1990 to 94, it's mind blowing. Yeah. The scope, right? Yeah. And and it and it's, and you know at that point I was a young adult, but even still, like to be able to flip through from like from Cake to the Beastie Boys to Soundgarden to Public Enemy, yeah, all would have been like listen, the same person would listen to all that. Yeah. And I and I wonder if like there's some element of that in that it was that the the sort of floodgates had opened on weirdness and and diversity that um it's it, it still exists today. I really think the alternative movement did that. Like it it broke down pre-existing silos of of things. Like when you know when I was in high school, there the cliques were very strictly defined. Yeah. You know, you had you had the jocks, you had the goths, and you had the burnouts or metalheads, and you, you kind of were one of those three, and that was kind of it, like for dudes, right? Whereas, like, if you look at in the '90s, like you could have like skater dudes hanging out with the stoners or, or the yeah. punks, like, and it wouldn't have been yeah weird, you know? Yeah, no, it was like that for me. I mean, because by the time I was like in high school, I was like, well, like middle school, high school, I kind of I was like a skater punk kid, and then kind of went, I started becoming like more of a metal kid. And yeah, you're right. Like I would hang out with stoner kids and mm-hmm. stuff, and it was like it was it was fine, you know. But but then by the late '90s, though, I remember, you know, obviously the boy band stuff came in, like, and then all the pop stuff. But even the rock music, like, I, I love them now, but like I didn't give a shit about Third Eye Blind. Yeah, and they were probably one of the most popular rock bands like by the time 1998 rolled around and stuff. Right. And I'm like, no, man, I want my freaking Smashing Pumpkins and 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 then you know of course that evolved into me getting into like I got really into the new metal stuff when it first came out you know and evolved from that but um, I, sk- I actually skipped school the day that Slipknot's Iowa came out <laughs> that's how much I was into Slipknot at one point but I'll admit that here that's fine but um, but yeah so like uh, it's hard for me to transition out of this like because we're uh, this is really good but um but like so but I think. I don't want to have this first show. I'm I'm sure this is not going to be the only time you come on this podcast. But like, I, I, I you helped last time we were in a hotel room together. You basically helped me come up with this idea. And so, and one of the things going back to our first trip in New Orleans, what happened? Like, uh, we 
we sat and had a burger before you found out you really were, shouldn't have been having one. <laughs> you pro- in hindsight, you probably shouldn't ate that meal with your gout <laughs> stuff. But um, the damn flavored coffee is what did it. Yeah, probably probably sugar, all that sugar more than anything. But um, and beignets. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> but we sat in front of that restaurant and had burgers and you know came up with this crazy idea of why don't we bring other authors with us and do this whole authors on a train thing and make it like a paid experience. And like, you know, me and you have been, even though we've kind of, we're not doing as much stuff together in 2021 as we were in 2017, 2018. Like, you know, you have no problem. You come up with some crazy ideas, like, and, and, and are willing to take a lot of risks um, and I don't know, like, I don't even really know what I'm trying to ask. Like, cause I don't, I can't just sit here and ask you like, where, how do you, how do you get your ideas? How do you cultivate big ideas? <laughs> but it's just, it's funny because like in the, in the author community, you know, you're kind of known as that, you know, you're, you're known as the guy who always likes to start podcasts, but also the guy who's like taking, coming up with these crazy ideas and stuff. But, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe more than anything. I'm just trying to say thanks for helping me come up with Creator Dad. I don't know. Well, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. It's just how I'm wired. I don't. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, it's weird. Like if you take any any person and whatever the skill is that they have that they feel like they were born with or feel like they can't remember where it came from, they just don't. They you can't even articulate how they do it or yeah. how, where it came from. And, and that sort of systems big scale thinking is just always something as far as I can remember that my brain has always worked that way and uh, now I have done some things I think and I, I can I can talk about that I think I've done some things that refines that skill like I think I've learned some ways to make the ideas more likely to succeed not guarantees but like more likely but but a, a lot of it is just um, it's just what pops into my head. And I think it goes back to that sort of that repressive childhood. I had a loving childhood, but it was repressive. Like, I, you know, I was, I went to Catholic school. Like, they don't, yeah. they don't want divergent thinkers in, in Catholic school. They, like, here's the doctrine. Learn that shit. Like, that's it, right? And, and so I was, in every spare moment, like in the classroom and on the bus, I'm, I'm trying to think outside those lines. I'm like, I'm not interested in what you're telling me because you're telling it to me. Like, I want to come up with my own ideas. And so I think that's, I think that's probably where, where it started. But I think, um, I also try and foster it by, by coming up with a ton of ideas with the understanding that maybe one out of 50 are going to be worth it. And that's, and that's, what's hard. And I got to give you credit because you've been the recipient of dozens of those stupid ideas and you don't call them stupid like you 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 tell me to pump the brakes or you you tell me to check my shit but you never are like well no we can't even do that like you let me experiment and try things yeah and i think that's like that's the environment you need like if you if you feel like that you need to to flex that idea muscle you need to get it in shape the the best way i've discovered to do that is just come up with a lot and try them and that means you got to be vulnerable. It means you have to be transparent with the people you're working with, and you have to admit when it doesn't work. Like, I mean, we we tried something recently uh, with the pricing and, and style of one of our events, and we heard 
pretty clearly yesterday that was a mistake, and I was yeah. like, that was my idea. Yeah. Yeah, and didn't work. Like, yeah. Um, but you only, like, I, I think that what's, what's really encouraging for me, and I hope other people can kind of feel this, is that you don't need a ton of good ones. No. You need one or two. Yeah. Like, you could make a career out of one or two good ideas. 100%. But you just got to... But you got to go through dozens to get there, and like that's where, like there's a there's a bit of um, misunderstanding. Like people think like if I just come up with one good idea, I'm set. It's like you got to come up with one good idea, but it's going to take more than one attempt. Yeah, and that's the miscommunication, right? Like people think, well, I'm going to try one, and it's going to hit, and then that's it. And for all the people I've known in life, that's never been the case. Like the people who have the, who are quote unquote successful are because they failed a ton of times. 100%. It's very rare <clears throat> that someone comes up with something and hits it right away. And it's the people that persevere and, uh, and fail and go, okay, cool, I'm just gonna get back up and try something else and learn from that stuff, which you know, we, we've been willing to do with a lot of stuff we've done. We've learned a lot, <laughs> you know. And it's not easy. It still no. stings. Especially right? when I especially mean, when there's money on the line. I yeah. mean, that makes it worse. You yeah, know? I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, and, and, and you are going to get burned and there's going to be, some, you're going to lose money sometimes. You're going to lose time. But like ultimately, if you just have faith in this, in the process and know that just like anything else, the more you try something, the better your chances of being successful are. And that's, you know, that, it's really easy to say, it's just hard to do. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and I mean, I can be the first to tell you, you've come up with some outlandish stuff. And the, it's funny, I mean, you know, you said I'll never call it stupid or anything, and that's true. Like, I, that's never, I've never even thought about that. I mean, and the other thing is that I know, um, I know you've attributed this. I, I say this a lot too. I know you say JP says this a lot, but like everything's figure outable, mm -hmm. which actually that is the name of a book by somebody. I can't remember her name, but I don't want to act like we came up with that. But but I really believe that. And I know when you got started in your in, as an as an author and you were trying to start networking and stuff, that was your attitude. You told people yes to some things that you had no idea how to do, but you're like, I'll figure it out. Yeah, you know, yeah. and um. But but I also know that I'm always the first one, like you said, to be like, no, I, I, I will always say no before yes, and then and then obviously will like slow us down and be like, let's let's actually think this through a little bit. <laughs> and, and you know, the older I get, the more I understand that I need that, and and so whether that is with a business venture with you, <clears throat> it might be uh, a new idea I have with Chris for for our mastermind group. Or something with the family, like you, Chris, or Joy, you all fulfill that role of going, slow your roll, hold up, think about that. None of you say, like, no, that's stupid, or don't ever do that. But all three of you, in some way, help me to slow down a little bit. And not a lot, like, because I also believe that if you think too long about something, you won't do it, or you'll destroy the idea. Yeah, it's paralyzing to, it to do that. It is. I think yeah. there is, it's not safe. But I think there is some positive consequences of being impulsive. Sometimes I think it's better to, like you said, to make a commitment or say yes before you even know what the hell you're doing. Because then it focuses you. Like, okay, I just said yes to this. Now I've got to figure it out. And I don't need to come up with a big idea. I have to figure out this very specific thing. 
So I think there's value in being impulsive and jumping on stuff and, and trying things, but every person who's like that needs someone in their life to just slow them down a little bit. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, and obviously in the writing community, which is where we're really anchored, you know, a lot of a lot of writers are just doing it on their own. You know, mm-hmm. and they're and not to say they don't have community or they don't have other authors they talk to, but not it's that's not in the same way as like the relationship you and I have had or the relationship that you and Chris have, you know? Um, and I think being willing to um, talk your ideas out there, I mean, that's exactly what happened with going back all the way around. Like I knew kind of the direction I wanted to go. <clears throat> like I knew that it was time for me to start something on my own in the creative space. And I knew that I, I didn't want to have just another podcast about writing. I wanted to do something that was more like, um, really in the same kind of same realm that you've been going like that creative lifestyle but it, I don't think I like if us talking it out is what got me there you know and so I think that that just says a lot about <clears throat> having someone in your life at least you know in the different aspects of your life that you can talk to to talk things out to get you to where you want to go well and, and that's why partnerships are so important and that's why we've been walking the walk and talking the talk. And it's it's why I've said repeatedly that the lone wolf is a myth for me. Yeah. Like I I like to think that I'm, I'm a lone wolf, but I'm not. Every successful thing I've done is because I've had the right partner. So like in your example, I, I don't know for sure, but I guess if you and I hadn't had that conversation, you might have stewed on that for months. I would have and maybe never done it. Hundred percent. Right? I, w- I wouldn't. I would have waited longer. So you. So you. Uh, your role is kind of being cautious. I'm not sure about this. Let me think about it. And I was like, dude, do it. Start it now. Like, do the first episode now. Right. Yeah. So like the roles were reversed, and and because we have those different approaches, putting them together works. See, and I don't. It was. I mean, you definitely were like encouraging me to do it now, but I don't. I think just talking it out loud and us throwing ideas back and forth is what got me excited. And we see that too, like this weekend on our trips, like everyone, every time we do one of these, I come out super energized. Yeah. I mean, initially I'm tired and mentally, but like I come out ready just to hit the ground running. I feel like I've learned a lot and, and, and we hear that from everybody. So I think just being around other people like you and being able to just have those conversations and stuff, I mean, it goes, I mean, that, that, that can help out. And that's really, I feel like, what helped me out more than anything with it. Yeah, and I'm not, like, I don't, I'm, I don't think you are either. I, I don't keep in touch with any of my high school friends. I, I have one that yeah. I do, but that's it. Okay, yeah. and, I, and I don't have any, any of my friends from college, I, I don't. Have any I didn't go to college, right. so no. <laughs> so like, there and and I'm, I'm not. I, and I think the reason being is that many of my high school friends are living in the same neighborhood, yeah. and they're going to the same bar and they're ordering the same drink that they've been doing for thirty years. And listen, that's fine. Some people, that's all they want out of life. Like they're really satisfied with that. They like the routine. They like the familiarity. Totally cool. That's not me. Right? And so if you are listening to this, you're listening to Creator Dad, and you're like, I want to be an artist. I want to do something different. Then you have to do something different. If, if you are going to the bar with your same group of buddies that you have been for decades, 
doing the same shit, talking about the same shit, what's going to change? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. You know? So it's not a judgment on, on, on those dudes. It's not saying that's right or wrong, but it, you, know, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect things to be different. They just won't. And it's funny you say that because like one of the things that I don't know if it's a good trait of me or bad, but like I have the ability to basically realize that I've outgrown a relationship or like just maybe not even outgrown, but like me and this another person have become so different that like I can just push that person out of my life with no emotion. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of that happened when I wanted to start doing this, like, because I, I realized exactly what you're saying. It's like, if I'm, I can't keep, you know, I, I truly believe you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so I'm very intentional about who those people are. I mean, I have friends that I have, I've had for years that, that I have for years that I'm just like, they bring me down or they're just on a different life path than me. And, you know, I will keep the memories we made forever, but it doesn't mean we have to, like, just arbitrarily keep moving forward and make new memories, you know. And for better or worse, that's just something I always, a trait I always feel like I've had. But um, but I say all to say that, like, there are sacrifices you do have to make, yeah. you know. Yeah. And sometimes it's even as far as relationships go. Well, yeah. You know, um, people generally hate change we all hate change people and you you know one, one of my favorite quotes going to what I'm saying and I'm going to make a different point too my favorite quote is you can't change the people around you but you can change the people around you right so like especially in this age of social media where everyone's trying to argue for their point and stuff that's so futile like you're not people do change but you can't change people you know, it's so like I'm not the same person. I mean, me and Kat have learned that a lot over the last several years. Like we got together when we were really young. She was just about to graduate high school when I was a year out of high school. And and we're not the same people we were. No. By all. any stretch of the imagination. You know, I mean, and uh, I don't know. It's just, it's it's interesting. Oh. But uh, yeah, I don't know what where, what point we were making there. But <laughs> um I do want to ask, do you ever miss being in a band? Sort of. Yeah. I miss I miss the camaraderie and the friendship. Yeah. I don't miss the bullshit. I don't miss carrying my cabinet up four flights of steps to open for some shitty band to four people <laughs> uh, and not hearing myself in the monitors and going home with my ears ringing. And, like, I, I don't miss any of that stuff. Um, I miss I miss seeing these guys every week and hanging out and, and mostly I miss busting balls and like teasing each other about yeah. stupid shit that we're sensitive about I miss that um, and I also miss the creation aspect I in my bands I definitely performed and I enjoyed that but I think I've always liked the songwriting recording better mm, okay. and I think now and, and it it's funny you ask me that because literally in the past few weeks I've taken my guitar out of its case for the first time in like four years <laughs> three or four years and I started noodling and I started to realize that the technology has gotten to the point 
where I don't have to sacrifice to get what I want from music. Like I don't, because you know how hard it is to put a band together and yeah. keep a band together and keep band drama from from coming, right? So hard. It's so hard. But now I can focus on what I can do, and I think I can make some pretty cool music because I I think I can like I can do some vocals. I can lay down some rhythm guitar and some bass guitar, and I can use some really cool loops, and I can create some pretty unique music by myself, um, and I don't have to perform it. I can write it and then record it and just have it. And like this is the first time in my life I felt like I've had that technical capability. Yeah. And so I'm I'm even creating time now on my calendar uh, to just play with the music and just to noodle on the guitar and, and find some samples that I think are pretty cool and see what they sound like. It's even such a way now though too where you could like you could record with other people. Yeah. It's so easy to send people tracks and like, hey man, lay down some drums to this or hey, lay down a lead track here. You know, can you put a solo on this track? You know, because like, like you said, the recording gear, like most people who are musicians have recording gear too now. It's just so much easier than it was yeah, you know. and I, you know I'm not a I'm not a lead guitar player, so I don't I'm not even gonna mess with solos and scales that sound stupid. So I'm already thinking about like guys I would might ask to like, hey, can you just throw a, a one minute solo on this? Exactly, like, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I might even ask Piper Brook. Well, he can't play leads at all. <laughs> that dude, he he could play about three chords. I think. So he's got a mean jump. I can tell you that. He I can get him to jump on the record. He's got a mean jump on stage, and he's got some good uh, gang vocal type screams. <laughs> You know, but no, I like, but yeah, I, I was obviously thinking about him, you know, but uh, yeah, dude, it's funny. Like, so when I was putting this podcast together, um, the intro and outro was actually a song, like one of the last things I recorded when I was still doing music. It was me and my, me and my buddy, Daniel, who's a phenomenal guitar player. And uh, we, he was in my band 12 Winners with me and my wife and my best friend, Blake. And that was uh, the band before Gilden Shade. <laughs> I was not in a band called Gildan Shade. <laughs> For the record, I did know a band called Gildan Shade, but I was not in that. Look them up, folks. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm glad I don't talk to any of those dudes anymore. Uh, but um, but yeah, the uh, yeah. So Twelve Winners, the band I was in with Cat and my best friend Blake, and then Daniel. Um, but we we'd recorded some stuff and. Um, like just going back and finding like because that was my first I was like oh I have all this music recorded I might as well use some of that for the intro and like it was I went back and started listening and I was kind of the same boat as you like I do kind of miss performing um, but I definitely more than anything I miss the camaraderie yeah and several years ago and when I say several this is probably 10 years ago now maybe maybe, maybe, maybe a little less but I think it was no, it was a little less. It was probably around eight years or so. Um, I tried to find some dudes and start like a... I wanted to do like a grunge rock cover band. Yeah. We had one rehearsal and I never talked to them again. Yeah. Because I was just like, it is just not the same as playing with your friends. Yeah. Like, and I realized that was what I missed more than anything was that camaraderie. Like, if I did again, it would have to be with... Like specifically Blake, who's like my... He's my best friend in the world. Like, I would... Or I would do something with you, mm -hmm. you know... You and Piper Brook, obviously, like that would be obviously I go that different. far, but maybe not Piper Brook, but he's too good for us anyway. He's out with record deals and stuff, so he's playing, big time now. He's big time, so um, but like I would want it to be that sort of situation, like not just finding some random people. To, I don't know. 
But yeah, and, you know, and I think too, for me, it's age. Like, mm. I, this, I'm gonna sound like such a dick, but I don't care. I'm gonna say it. Like, I'm too old and want to make new friends. No, I totally, hundred percent. It yeah. is. It's such an investment, and at 50 years old, I'm just kind of like. I just don't want to put the time in. No, I get it, you man. You know, like, yeah. and I, like, and the whole getting to know you, like, it's different when you, when you're hell raising as a teenager with dudes and, like, you bond that way. Like, I, there's, a, there's a dude that, uh, my buddy Jeff, I could go five years without talking to Jeff and I pick up the phone and we're right back yep. where we were 19 years old, yep. right? And, and that's because those relationships formed at a very formative age. 50 is not a formative age for friendships. Well, here's the difference, too. If you were to go out and try to start a band now, like, you'd put something online, like, looking for a band. Like, you're forcing that relationship. Yes. There's a big, like, because it's, obviously, we've both made friends, like, but it's happened organically. Right. You know, um, we were talking, like, a really good example. Like, I don't want to start calling out names because people are like, you left me out. Well, well Piper Brook. Piper Brook's a great example. Like, he organically became a friend of ours. We talked. We were talking about JP yesterday. Like JP, yeah, he bought tickets, came to our event stuff, but then organically became like a, that dude's a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, that's different than like trying to go out and like, oh, we're gonna be in a band together now and like pretend like we have chemistry and stuff. Right. Like, just because we happen to like the same bands. Right. Like, and, is, and, and for musicians especially, you you have to be battle tested. Like I think those like you read any. Biography or memoir from from musicians, and those dudes always talk about how they bonded through the adversity. You know, we were like, just reading the Grohl, yeah, and we were talking about how you know he, him and Kurt like lived together, and he talked about that turtle. Kurt Cobain spent on the couch and the turtle. He's like that fucking turtle, <laughs> you know, and like, but yeah, that's what they had to do. Yeah, and that's where those friendships are forged. Yeah, in those moments and. I'm too old and too well off and too safe yeah. to force friendships like that. Now, exactly. Right? Like when you're when you're 18 or 19 and you're you know you've got nothing to lose and you're you're going all out and you're taking those risks and you know that's where those friendships become really tight. Yeah. But when you're comfortable and old and you've lost your your rage against the machine, <laughs> you know, it just you know you can have acquaintances and, and buddies, but that's not the same as having a brother in a band. Even like, you know, when we're working with writers and we've obviously been asked about collaboration a lot, like very rarely have I, I know writers who have tried to like, they'll post something in a Facebook group and then someone's like, oh, I like that genre. And then they're like, let's try writing together. That's not like you're, again, you're trying to force that. Like you and I were friends for a while before we even talked about doing anything together. Like before we did the pod, and especially before we we entered a relationship writing together. Yeah, we were doing a podcast for what a year, maybe. Yeah, before we even started talking about co-writing. I first heard you, and it would have been 2014. Uh, Does that sound right for the horror writers podcast? 2015 at the latest. Yeah, I and I think it was 2015 or 2016 where you came on as a co-host. It wasn't until mid 2017 we started writing together. I wrote Empty Bodies at the end of 2014. Yeah. So I had to have heard the Horror Hours podcast already. But you and I did not write a book together until 2017. Right. <laughs> so, like, there was a lot. And the pod, like you said, the, we had the podcast stuff going, like, a little bit. But that was, there was space there, too. I think it was 2016 we did the podcast. And, and now we have this this deep friendship and bond because it's we haven't been, like, traveling around the country in a van. But we've been 
doing these events together yeah. and, and other author things. And so now when we get together, we can laugh about stupid shit we've been we doing did it together, all week. <laughs> right? Or we can bust each other's balls about things we know about each other yeah. because we, we had those experiences. But like you said, that's different than saying, hey, you know, does anyone want to host an event with me? Like that's yeah. that's not a friend, right? No. Like, no, because there's you got to develop a level of trust, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, it's so it's yeah. I mean, as we kind of wrap up here, I guess like it's it's funny you say that too because it. I was thinking earlier. I was telling Cat there too. I was like, man, it would actually. I've been in New Orleans dozens of times before I met you. I mean, I used to come down here all the time, like I said, but like it would feel weird to come here now and not you not be here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like, I feel like that I do, I, I have a, you know, a, a special connection in this place, but like, I also have a, but you're part of that now. So, I don't know. It's Likewise. Just, it's just, it's just funny. But, uh, you have anything you want to promote before we get out of here? <laughs> we, like, you, like, come on, call to action. Uh, like- we should probably say, uh, you should probably listen to us on Riders Inc. because JD will get mad if we don't say that. If we don't pimp that out, that's good enough. We'll just say we'll just say Riders Inc. I, I was it was uh, entertaining to see you stumble through that uh, formality at the, end, <laughs> at the end of the conversation. Well, it's just weird. We do so much stuff together. I'm like, I guess I should give you the opportunity to like promote your website or something. I don't know, but you know, I'll put your links down in the show notes yeah. anyway. So. Listen to Writer's Inc. That, that, that's good enough. Awesome. Thanks for doing this, dude. Of course, brother. All right, man. Love you. Love you, too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Creator Dad Podcast. I'd like to invite you to join the official Creator Dad Discord community where fellow Creator Dads like you and me connect to discuss our creative endeavors, parenting, relationships, music, movies, and TV, sports, money, all the things that dudes love to talk about. Get all the details at patreon.com slash creator dad.